Welcome back to the Amkiss podcast brought to you by the Bonjour Agency. This is the podcast where we speak to people in the independent school sector. Amkiss is the Association for Admissions, Marketing and Communications in Independent Schools. I'm Simon Jones and in this episode I'm talking to Miranda Norris. She's the head at Felstead Prep School. Now, I think you're going to love this episode. Miranda has a great background of other independent schools, international schools, and also the state school sector. She offers some solid advice for marketing, admissions, and communications teams, as well as sharing her own stories of working in a wide variety of schools. Not only this, but Miranda's opening this year's Amkiss Prep School Marketing Seminar in London on 26th January. So if you're listening to this episode before that event, then it'll give you a sneaky insight into Miranda as a person. But if you're listening afterwards, then be assured that everything she says in this recording is separate to the London event, which means you'll get just as much value listening to her words. Anyway, enough dilly-dally, let's jump across to Felstead Prep School, where we meet up with the head, it's Miranda Norris. Miranda, welcome to the Amkiss podcast. Thank you for being here. How are you today? I'm very well, Simon. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here, especially because this podcast is being recorded on the middle of January. And in a few days time, we've got the Amkiss Prep School Marketing Seminar. And I think that you're opening that as well, aren't you? I am. I'm nervous and excited at the same time. Uh, it's a real privilege to be able to, be able to come along and uh, open such an amazing event as well, particularly as everybody's got together and they know people more. And I think it's, the first, it's just really lovely to get everybody back together again. Well, I'm sure it's going to be a great event. It's a real shame I can't be there, but I'm sure that everybody will have a great time. Now, just tell us a little bit about your background. How long have you been at Felstead for and where were you before Felstead? So I've just come to the end of my first term at Felstead. Uh, it's been an amazing um, transition as sort of joining a new team. And as you can imagine, the first term's full of just getting to know everybody, getting to know how it works, all the systems and processes and people. Um, it's been really exciting. So starting the new year, it actually feels really lovely and calm. Lots of the knowledge has, has sort of been gained, um, but we're still going through new events and uh, it's it's moving quite swiftly. Um, so so we're in the midst of scholarship applications and I'm sure lots of schools are doing all those different applications at the moment. So it's quite a busy time. Um, then before this, I was in London. Um, I was the head of the, it's called Ducks. So part of Dulwich College, they've got five schools and the younger um, pupils are in a lovely sort of the kindergarten and infant school called Ducks. So it was really interesting to be able to introduce myself as um, head of Ducks for a while. Uh, people often take <laughs> That's a back. fantastic name, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's great. <laughs> and uh, an amazing sort of uh, um, family to be with. But I'd been with um, the Dulwich family for about 11 years because prior to that, I was working in um, Suzhou in China and then in Singapore. And in Singapore, we opened a brand new um, Dulwich International School there. Um, and being part of that team was uh, incredible great experience. Some of the people listening to this, or in fact, the majority of people listening to this will be marketing and admissions people in other schools. And some of them will have had experience like you of being in international schools or schools outside of the UK. Do you feel like that's an important thing for people to do who are who are willing and able to step outside of the UK? I would have no hesitation in saying if you are interested at all, and in whatever um, sort of fields because an awful lot of um, international schools will want the expertise of someone who's come from um, the UK, particularly in marketing, particularly in in making in admissions as well, because um, having that knowledge of of what it takes to join schools across the um, across the world, that global um, insight is an. In 
incredibly amazing sort of skill to bring with you. But I think more than that, it's it's the international schools have been on a huge journey, particularly over the last, I want to say about 20 years, because I first started teaching internationally. And this is going to sound, I'm just doing my calculations. It, it was about 18, 18 years ago. Um, I went to Indonesia and I'd worked in state school before that. Felt very adventurous, young young teacher wanting to go out and sort of see the world. And the advert was, and people in marketing will know this, there, it was in the TES, you still bought it as a newspaper. And the advert had a palm tree on. And, uh, and so I thought, oh, sounds great. I'm going to apply for that. And it was in Indonesia. And of course, anyone that's been to Jakarta will know that, that yes, there are palm trees, but it's, it's really not very close to, to sort of being a desert island. Um, so it's more of a hub. But it was an amazing experience. I was there for three years. And um, coming back from there to, to sort of secure a job, I came back into the independent sector. So worked in London, in an all boys prep school, um, Weatherby Prep, I'm sure they won't mind me saying. Um, but it was quite difficult to secure an interview because I heard on 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 the other side that they're coming from too far away, um, won't won't need to give an interview. So you had to be very tenacious. And I think sort of 18 years ago, the perception of international schools was sort of, oh, they they don't have to adhere to any rules. They don't have to follow the same sort of guidelines we do. And of course, in the the past 18 years, that's changed dramatically. You have accreditation companies, you have amazing inspections. And actually, when it comes to putting children first and sort of the innovations in, in education, international schools are paving the way forward. So if you're hitting the right company of schools and you're working with really well, well-known, well-renowned international schools, you cannot have a better experience. So I would be, again, no hesitation with saying to go out there and explore and travel. Um, and it's become a career pathway for many people. It's great to hear your positive experience of that. I think that one of the hesitations that some people might have if they're currently in a UK school is when they have their own children. Now, I think that you've got your own children as well. So how do you manage the sort of the international bridging, if I can put it that way, to make sure that their schooling isn't interrupted in a negative way? I think it depends on on what you're after. And again, it's it's a lot to do with the research. So a lot of teachers will go to British international schools because they follow the British national curriculum largely, but they have the added benefit of the facilities, the teachers, the the expertise, the small classes, everything that you would gain from independent education and you would want to have. Now, when we left, my youngest was just turning three. Very interesting um, plane journey. I will put that out there. Um, and my my oldest is about five. So we returned um, for a year seven and a year five re-entry point for them. And they moved from, from China to Singapore and knew very little about the UK. They'd come back for visits. Um, but the friendships they made, the resilience they had with, with moving and transferring from to school to school was incredible. Um, not to be taken lightly, you still have to prepare. I think it's really important for any transition to help your family, your children um, sort of really when you're relocating and you're you're moving around you need to um make sure that they they know it just as well pretend to be a um a tourist for the day for example or for the week so you really get to know the area i do have to share one story though because obviously working in international settings you get lots of family who are coming in and out and they're looked after by our teams beautifully um, and welcomed from their first touch point that might be on the internet might be on the phone to the to the time that they leave but one family said that they were moving to china 
And they explained how they told their children they were moving to China and they sat them down and they watched The Karate Kid. <laughs> and, um, and at the end of the film, they said, there you go, we're moving to China. Bish, bash, bosh. And so it was sort of not quite the transition I would be recommending, but um, a, a good story to sort of say what not to do. Um, but they had a great time. They were a really lovely family, very down to earth. Um, but again, I think the thing to remember internationally is that everybody has chosen to make that step to be brave. I think coming back to the UK can be quite difficult. I think for families coming into the independent sector, they can find that quite challenging. So a lot of international schools will invest a lot of time working with um, the admission teams from in independent schools to make sure that they're marrying up their needs and preparation for children. So if it's the seven plus, I wince slightly when I say seven plus, and I think that those people who work and live and breathe with the seven plus will understand, um, or the 11 plus, 13 plus, and so on and so forth, that they're helping their families be completely prepared for that transition element too. It's interesting you mentioned there about, you know, looking after the children and about how it affects them, because pupil well-being is one of those things that we we always seem to read about being utmost importance and, and rightly so. What are your thoughts on pupil well-being, not just at Felstead, but in general, but also staff well-being as well? I think we always did have it in our minds. I know a lot of people are talking about lockdown, but lockdown has actually given us, um, it's brought us forward with being able to be explicit about well-being. Talk about anxiety, for example, without the taboo of saying that anxiety is just reserved for those people that perhaps are on the edges and acknowledging that anyone can feel anxious at any time and how it translates. So um, I found particularly during lockdown, coming out of lockdown, we've had far, far more investment in being able to read one another's behaviour. So from a staff perspective, we often talk about icebergs and what people are bringing with them each day. And it's been a really good sort of uh, scaffold to hold those conversations. So we can talk about what people's values are, absolutely, and what they're bringing to conversations. But at the same time, how difficult has their morning been? How difficult is their life because they are caring for an older parent? What kind of loss have they been through? And is that triggered by some of the events, particularly recent events? And the same can be said then for children. And because we're investing time in all our um, stakeholders, I think we've got to really acknowledge that we've got to look after parents as well. And I think I've had conversations that have been quite controversial, sort of where, why parents too? Well, they're all our stakeholders. And I think we're working towards, yes, to keep the yoga and the time and, and talking about it, but also looking at the day-to-day -day structure. Um, so if you look at timetables for children, how are the transitions? How busy are they on a day-to-day -day basis? And then the impact on teachers who are moving around perhaps or who are responding to um, increased timetables, dem timetable demands. Um, we want to be able to say, how can we timetable for well-being? And that means building in time that isn't stolen. Um, so a lot of teachers will understand that um, time gets stolen for rehearsals or for different competitions or for different events. And we need to try and plan that in so that actually we're building time for that. So we're being very mindful and specific. And then looking at our staff, this is going to sound strange, but because I've been in state and independent and international, there's this really lovely sort of Similarity that has it's it's changed over the years where we used to have a common room or a teaching body, for example, and very often events would be for the common room or for the teachers or for academic staff, and you'd get this a divide between academic and operational. 
And I think with talking about how people's people are feeling, their emotions, their well-being, we are focusing on making sure that we're a team and that we work together. So as well as wanting our operational team to know what's going on inside the classroom by opening the doors and saying, come in and see, the same is true in reverse. So, for example, my leadership team um, will be hearing from our marketing um, department, our communications department, just about what they do, you know, and working together so that we've got that understanding of what one another's pressures might feel like. And then from a timetable perspective, if you liken that to perhaps an accountant's office, you know that the year end is in April. Well, The admissions team get very, very busy at different times of the year and um, uh, they pinpoint those times. And if we can increase the understanding of why they are busy and why it's really important to say, can I help? If not, leave you be. Um, Just to have that increased awareness of what what one another's icebergs actually are. Um, So, yeah, it's a huge, a huge area, but I am so thankful that we are talking about it with more um, purpose. It's really interesting, that concept of, of icebergs. I love that. And having that increased awareness, I think, you know, from from the point of view of everyone through all parts of school life to, to understand that about everybody else, even just being aware that we need to be more aware, it, that in itself surely is a, is a big step forwards. Tell us about your role then as a, as a head, and again, not necessarily at Felstead, but how the interaction can work really well between teaching staff and, and support staff that you mentioned, and in particular with marketing and admission staff. You've just reminded me actually of an experience I had that has actually influenced my sort of I, I think my approach and it was it was years ago when I was in Indonesia so before I became a head but I led year five so as a year five leader but I'd been asked if I'd be social secretary which um, sounds very lovely and you know lively thing to do and I had to organize a party um, end of year summer party that, that happens in most schools and I'd walked into a history of having, um, there'd been separate parties with the host national staff on one side and international staff on another, both wanting different things. And it was a really amazing experience for me because we were able to talk to all all the team members and we were able to arrange a really lovely event that made sure it, that it just took into account what people like to do for their downtime, for their celebratory moments. And it was very simple. And you can't go wrong, music, foods, you know, and, and get the timing right and you're okay. And it's just about finding the right venue and, and meeting people in the middle. Some people like to leave, leave, leave early, leave late, that kind of thing. But with a little bit of compromise you get a really lovely team feel and I think that experience has really fed into how I am now as a head and it's trying to bring that level of understanding to the job but also to help people that have been perhaps working in a silo for a long time teachers are brilliant at working in silos you can walk into their classroom and you're transported into this lovely magical world they make it amazing for the children and the learners and that's absolutely right to do so but when they step out of the classroom they're still consumed about what they want to do next and they find it quite they well they haven't been used to thinking about other people or other areas of school life they just you know think oh it's it has always been like this it's always been there or the food trolley's always been there or the coffee's already been set up or someone's already mown that lawn and I think by expanding our understanding of one another and our jobs and what we need to do and how we can make it easier for one another it's going to make a better team but I think the other thing that 
the other story I bring to being ahead, and this is a very famous story, I think everybody knows this one, um, where President Kennedy went to the space station and, and met, met now in different stories, and sometimes it's a, it's a lady, sometimes it's a gentleman, but they were serving the tea. And he said, and what do you do here? And, and they said, well, Mr. President, I send people to the moon. And they were right. It takes every single member of your team to educate our children and send them out into the world with the skills they need to be amazing young people. And I think it sounds very dreamlike, but that's exactly what we do. And if it doesn't help children learn and it doesn't help children become the best people they can be, then we're doing the wrong thing. So how do you go about communicating that kind of thing internally within a school without it sounding like some kind of corporate, dry, soulless and meaningless vision statement or something like that, that people just kind of sit in and listen to knowing that actually it's not going to change their work at all? How, how do you do it differently? Right. I, I was just about to say I've been really lucky. And I do have to say that the harder you work, the luckier you are. It's, it is true. But I think with the opportunities that um, I've been able to grasp, I've had um, experience of doing this in very many different settings. So in Singapore, I was acting head for the first year because we didn't think that we would need a separate head for the prep school um, or the junior school as it's known there. Um, because we we didn't expect to have the numbers that we had, and because the numbers were so much more, um, I stepped in as as acting head. So with that was the need to create a vision going forward for a group of people who'd not met before, who were from different locations. The children were for different different schools and different locations. The operational team were from different locations. Everybody's new at the same time, and so. Whilst it's it's an amazing opportunity, what you learn from that is that you have to keep it simple and you have so many people with enthusiastic ideas that at some point your job is to sort of guard against initiative overload and you start by saying, okay, let's start with our basics and our toolkit and you build from there. Being able to inspire different groups of people has been really interesting because um, when I joined Dulwich London, you can imagine the history, the the um, tradition, the we've always done it this way feel um, was a, was absolutely there, and not always negatively because traditions are fantastic. They are rich and they make your DNA. So your response to being able to inspire a team has to start with what their needs are. So whether it be saying, okay, when was the last time you visited the year two classroom to the person working in the baby room, and their response is it's been quite some time, Miranda. And so you say, well, let's start there. So starting from a position where you're really looking at what the um, school, the setting, the place needs. I mean, in Singapore, for example, you're not going to write a curriculum that's built around the Tudors. You're going to write a curriculum that builds in Singaporean history, Lord Raffles, how it was made up, you know, the different sort of areas of Singapore, where where it's been from, you know, where, where it's come from. Um you, ha you have to look at your locality, you have to look at your team, your people and what they're bringing first. So you're right, trying to inspire a team, you can't do the same thing every single time. You have got to wait and see and see what their needs are. So here at Felstead, it's been really interesting. I've listened a lot and I've had lots of meetings where I've been able to say, okay, what would you do? What would you change? Um, what do you love? What's, you know, what's, what, what are the traditions that you love? And um, children, teachers, the team, 
just making sure that we can say, right, let's start together. Um, so, and there are some old favourites. There are people that I bring with me on the way. Rita Pearson, for example. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she is, um, she's sadly not with us anymore, but she's, um, I'll, I'll send the links. Uh, she's, she talks about being children's champions. And I think as a head teacher, you not only have to be the children's champion, you have to empower your team to be the children's champion, but you have to be your team's champion. And everybody needs something different. You've got a teacher that wants to be a head teacher one day. You've got a teacher who actually wants to pursue um, education psychology. So they're thinking, actually, and they've, they've worked with children where they want to do something different. Translating that to our um, team as well, I just got office team together and I said, OK, what are we going to do together going forward and we've uncovered training needs we've uncovered ideas you even uncover well I I've done something this way and someone else says oh that's a really great idea I'd like to do that so again the inspiration comes from within as well so um definitely not one size fits all based on listening and then moving forward from there Fantastic. It sounds really exciting to hear all of this. I'm feeling quite inspired myself. And and just thinking back to previous heads at Felstead, I, I guess to an extent you're you're kind of building on what they've done in the past as opposed to throwing out what they've done to, to replace with something that you feel might be better. A hundred percent. You can't join a new team and, and say you're going to... They, I mean, the only time we've ever really been able to start afresh is the opening of a new school. Um, but you can never, ever join a team and... And discount what's gone before because there's so much effort and so much work and so much growth that has happened. So you have to listen. You, you have to acknowledge um, where people are on their journey because it is a privilege to be ahead. And just for a short time, I feel like I feel like heads are. Yes, they're caretakers. They're caretakers of um, whatever setting that they they are head of. And in the same way that I want everybody to leave. If they do leave, they might not leave. Um, but you want your team to leave being better than they were when they arrived. So at the same time, my duty is to make sure that um, I make a difference while I'm here. And again, it is, it's building on that growth. Um, and again, really exciting, really exciting privilege. No, it really does sound like it. Really does sound like it. Um, I'm keeping an eye on time, but one last quick question. If anyone's been listening to this and they're thinking, well, maybe now's the right time in my career to do something overseas myself, what would you advise to them? Yes, as I said before, I, you know, don't, don't, don't hesitate, but it's really important to do your homework. Um, uh, the obvious things aren't always obvious. You know, if you're, if you're not keen on hot, warm places, then you have to choose quite wisely. I've got friends who are, um, have loved Europe, Brussels, sort of uh, just, it just comes to mind because my very close friends are in Brussels and they've returned to Brussels. So I met them in Indonesia and they've, they, they went and worked in Brussels and absolutely fitted into the lifestyle. It suited them, it suited their family and they will not come back to the UK. That's, that's, that's them. Um, but it's also talking to people that have worked internationally, research the schools, definitely look at the accreditation. You're looking for BSA or CIS, in my opinion. There are other inspection bodies that obviously give that lovely mark of quality. But you do want to make sure that you're going into a school that is stable and that matches your values. Because you need to make sure that you are joining a team that you can work with. 
There are a lot of, of lovely international schools that are linked to schools in the UK. There's a safety sort of surrounding that as well, because there's a knowledge of the fact that they are built on traditions that have started in the in the UK. But there are also big companies, Cognita um, and so on and so forth, who have such a successful um, rate of sort of being able to operate internationally that you know you've got that security. So definitely do your homework. If you can visit, do. Not everybody can. Um, and then when it gets to the interview, stage they do a lot of online interviews and sort of recordings of of teaching in your class so again that's fine but they do advertise for um skills in admissions marketing sector um marketing is, is huge it's 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 unbelievably sort of um because of the numbers that a lot of the international schools are dealing with it's a very busy and very competitive market. Dubai is sort of 10% more. It's huge. Um, I think Dubai, with the numbers of schools and the amount of competition there, um, you've got a lot to wade through. So I think my my advice on homework is, is really important. So really suss out the school, suss out the websites and have a look to see if it matches your values going forward. So good to hear. Thank you for that, Miranda. Uh, and I really am keeping an eye on time. We should really bring this episode to a close now. But actually, one final, final question. Before we hit record, I asked you if you'd been on a podcast recording before. You said no. Now we've finished this recording and, uh, and, and it's all done. How does it feel to have got episode one for yourself under the belt? I am. I'm over the moon. You're right. I've really enjoyed um, my time talking to you, and it's been it's been really lovely, and it's brought back memories of uh, working abroad as well. So it's been a really enjoyable time for me. Thank you so much. Well, it's been great hearing you talk. So thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. But for anyone else listening to this, then of course you're going to be opening the conference in a few days' time. So another great opportunity to hear from you. Thanks very much, Miranda. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. So that was Miranda Norris, head at Felstead Prep School. And after we finished that recording, she did tell me she's happy to answer any questions you might have. So do feel free to contact her. Details are on the Felstead Prep School website. Just a reminder, AMCIS is the Association for Admissions, Marketing and Communications in Independent Schools. For more information on AMCIS, just visit amcis.co.uk. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.